Welcome to episode 734 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, September 4th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and I'm flying solo today. Uh, on this episode, I'm going to be discussing some 2019 fall-offs and their outlook for 2020. A lot of the stuff that we've discussed thus far with regards to 2020 has been related more to the positive end. You know, the first three rounds of the draft, that's going to be a lot of high-end guys that we're talking about. Um, the the top 30 starters for next year, that's obviously going to also be focused on the positive end more often than not. But I think it's time to get into some of the uh, some of the guys that didn't necessarily come through for us this year and where we're at with them going forward. Analyze some of the stuff that's gone on with their season. Can they rebound? Is this kind of the beginning of the end? Or even if it's not the beginning of the end, is it a new level that needs to be uh, considered when they're when they're being drafted and, and so we push them down but let's start so what I've done is I took a list of guys uh, from 18 to 19 and looked at the negatives on WRC plus who has the biggest negatives there minimum 250 plate appearances although I did include some guys that fell just under now I'm not just doing a straight rundown of that list while Four of these seven guys I'm going to talk about are four of the top five. I did kind of pick and choose some guys I, I specifically wanted to highlight here. So, uh, you know, if you ran this same query, you would find that Robinson Cano was uh, fourth at minus 51 points. And I'm not I'm not going to cover him right now. He has pretty much missed uh, essentially a half season or not quite. But, you know, he's missed a bunch of time. He's older. I think his price is going to go down anyway. So I'm not sure that there's anything to really analyze there to say, oh, is this somebody that we should stay invested in? I don't think you're going to need to pay any sort of toll on him. Uh, Jose Ramirez, we've kind of talked that to death. I think he'll still get discussed quite a bit in the offseason, so he's not included. He's actually sixth on the list. Guys like Jesus Aguilar, uh, Curtis Granderson, love you, Curtis. Um I'm not sure that they merit a lot of our time right now either. Jose Peraza, Michael Franco, Malik Smith, Rugnet Odor, these are a bunch of guys too. Nope, we're not getting into them. We're focused on, again, four of the top five, but then some selected ones, some hand-selected ones by yours truly. Let's start with one who has actually the biggest dip, but that's what happens when you set an MVP level that uh, you can come down quite a bit, 57 points, and still be a monster. And that is, of course, Mookie Betts, who is down, as I mentioned, 57 points in WRC Plus, down to a 128 level. And yet, I'm not really worried about him. And, um, you know, this looks a lot. Now, I will say this. This is two out of three years that are underwhelming, let's call it. You know, let's let's not sugarcoat it and just pretend that, that he's delivered. But this is... Exactly exactly what we talk about when when we're talking about drafting in the first round or two for floor as well. Because we rarely draft the top 15 guys, you know, by season's end in the first round. It's just not how it goes. We're drafting guys who we think, okay, they have a great chance to be in the top 15. And if they're not, it's going to be in a scenario, the scenario is going to be where they're you know, within the top 50 or even top 75. And that's that's good enough because their range, barring injury, will not vacillate so much that they're that they're going to kill you. And Betts is, is peak that guy. 
He's 18th on the uh, the player radar over at at Rasball. I mean, I, I'm I'm reluctant to even call him a disappointment. I understand that you know you drafted him. I think he had a, some number ones. Um, yeah, he was he was one, two, or three. He never went lower than three, and he regularly went number one. And so I understand you had expectations coming off of an MVP season for Mookie Betts that you were hoping for another 30-30 with, uh, with uh, an over 300 average and, and gobs of runs and, and solid RBIs. He will be batting near the top. So your RBIs had to be, your RBI expectation had to be in check for, for Betts. But even if he just put up another 80 like last year, which actually he should, and the runs should actually be fine again too. And that's why he is still so high. On the player radar, he's hitting a, a very useful 285. He already has 123 runs, which actually this is an interesting day to compare because he has as many games played this today, uh, 136 on Wednesday the, the 4th, as he did last year. 30 more plate appearances, which is a difference, but not so over-the-top difference that you have to, you know, that the comparison can't still be done. So he's just six runs shy of last year's total of 129 and he's obviously going to eclipse that but he's going to play a lot more games by season's end um he's nine homers shy so he could still get there obviously but it would take the the rate would be different but we we care about volume here so if Mookie Betts does surge in in September and hit another you know eight to 12 homers uh to wind up either one shy or above last year's 32 then we'd take that from Betts he's only 10 ribbies short he's definitely going to eclipse that Barring something absolutely insane, there's no chance that he's going to reach last year's 30 stolen bases. He has 14. But I don't think it's hurting him as much or even the fantasy teams that have him because you don't need as many steals to compete. Just the way they've been distributed, his, let's call it 19, let's say he gets five this month. Although that's pretty lofty. Let's let's call it three. Let's just say he ends up with 17 for bets. And 28 homers. So 28, 17, 135, and 85. Something like that. And the batting average, I don't know. Will he hold the 285? Will he go up? Will he go down? No, nothing's going to change that much barring something insane. So we'll say that he's pretty much going to be around the 285 mark for bets. That's still going to be a brilliant season. It's not quite 2017 where he had the 24 homers, 26 steals, 101 runs, 102 ribbies, but a 264 average. And some people were kind of pushing him down. And I think he was, he was going as late as double digits in the, in the first round, which when you're dropping from, you know, top three down to between eight, and 13 that is a that is a severe discount even though it it seems like okay it's not, not that big of a difference is going to the first round but all of those all those pick slots in the first round are incrementally more important than if you drop from even like the third round to the fifth round like that's almost not as severe as going from three to 12 in within the first round it's like that pick value chart for the uh uh, for the NFL, if you guys are familiar with that, uh, they, there's a n- numerical value on every draft pick, and the, the 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 distribution of that is is very interesting if you see it with the way the first round picks are clustered, and then how different, say, like a you know late second is to an early fourth. It's just not as severe. But anyway, I'm not going anywhere on bets. 
He's awesome. I've probably spent too much time on him because I'm not even worried about him. Still a first rounder. Don't make the same mistake in 28 as we did in 2018. I would take him. I would take him as high as five. Really, uh, I'm I'm not I'm not that worried. I'm trying to pull up our draft to see where we where we took him. I might actually be exposing myself here. I'm saying I'm saying I would take him that high, and I, I want to see where he went and how many times I passed him in our draft here. Mookie Betts went seventh, and I did pass him twice, but I passed him the second time for Lindor, which I I, I don't you know that that's I I think that's viable. Uh, I think those two are going to be very close. So sometimes I'm going to take Lindor, sometimes I'm going to take Betts. Bottom line, awesome. Sorry, I spent so much time. I didn't need to find that many different ways to tell you that he's still great. Chris Davis is our next guy. And he's dropped 56 points down to a 79 WRC+. plus. Now, that's just our jump-off point, of course. Uh, but then we dive into everything for that. However, with regards to Davis, the WRC+, plus is more important as a as a single metric because so much of his value is tied into power which will be reflected in the wrc plus some of these other guys like bets and and a couple coming up they have speed components uh, that won't necessarily be captured in that so the the raw drop in wrc plus won't be as um important but with davis it's massive so let's kind of get in on some of the stuff that, that has happened to davis his barrel rate's down seven points, seven percentage points. His exit velocity's down two and a half miles per, per hour. Excuse me. The launch angle dip is small and, and a lot less concerning. I, I don't even want to give too much weight to that because it's not, it's not significant. It's not st- statistically significant enough to be like, oh, that's what's happening to Chris Davis. His strikeout and walk rate remain r- r- rates remain fine. What I'm wondering at this point with Davis, when you look at the way everything's broken down, is he been has he been nursing an injury throughout the bulk of the year? I know he's gone on the IL. Actually, let me pull up his whole injury history this year, if you guys don't mind. If you're first time listening to a solo cast, it's gonna be drink breaks and there's gonna be a lot of typing and mouse clicking. And I apologize if that bothers you, but that's that's kind of the deal with the solo. Obviously, when I have a co-host or, or, or a co-host and a guest, while they're talking, I can be doing this stuff, and it's it's a lot more smooth. So I apologize if that bothers you. But anyway, we have the hip issue that cropped up early in the season. Bruise left hip, bruise left hip on May seventh. It eventually required an IL stint in late May, and then on the 29th, left hand injury that cost him a few days so it's hard not to wonder if the hip has been a major issue for chris davis throughout the year major enough to put him on the il but then still linger even as he's been back i want to look at something here let's look at things before the hip hit well he wasn't really doing that well even before the hip that said Actually, I'm going to retract that a little bit. He wasn't doing that well in his in his slash line, 229, 303, 481. But that 481 really sticks out because he did have 10 homers in those first 35 games for Chris Davis, and that was pacing for 47. So his raw power paces were suggesting that he was still going to have a similar season. And 229 through 35 games, you're not that far off what you need to get at his fabled 247. So I will say, actually, he 
he was more or less in line with what we expect from Chris Davis until that first instance of the hip. Since then, including you know the games played around it, obviously he missed time for the IL. Since then, he's at 220, 288, 341. That's the devastation, is that the power is gone. Nine homers pacing to 19 in a full season, and Chris Davis has absolutely lost his power, and that you'd have a hard time convincing me that this hip is not a major, major, major reason why. Now, will it require something in the offseason to get healed? Um... You know, if we get news on something like that and he and he gets the necessary procedure or if it's a rest and relaxation thing and just taking two, three months off before doing anything uh, is all he needs. OK, I, then I could see myself looking at at Chris Davis as somebody to jump back in on next year. Absent that. I will have some trepidation on the 32 year old. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And obviously, this is one of those picks for Chris Davis where it could start off really low. You know, uh, Justin's two early mocks have already started. We're going to be in uh, Arizona for the Arizona Fall League next month doing drafts. And I think Chris Davis's price is going to be low. And it could really escalate up as we, if we learn something about that offseason situation that I suggested with the hip and or... He comes into spring and looks like Chris Davis. You know, he's, he's he's hitting seven spring homers and just looks like the spry power self that we're used to, not taking some of these half acts. And it, and it is it, this is anecdotal as hell. I, I watch, you know, a decent number of Oakland games. I usually shift over to a uh, West Coast game after watching some of the... It used to be when the Tigers weren't the worst team in the universe. Watch the Tigers, then bounce around the uh, West Coast games. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you guys. I'm not watching every Tigers game these days. I probably watch about two a week. I check the box score every day. I try to read up on news. I love my team, but come on. Uh, as also somebody that you know does baseball stuff for a living, I need to be abreast of the situations going on across the league. And investing my time in my beloved Tigers, I do not think is the best use of my time. So yeah, I'm justifying here, and but I'm not giving up on my team. I'm, I'm just or. I have given up on them this year, let's be honest. But I'm not like, uh, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you guys and be like, oh, I'm such a diehard dude that I've watched all 96 losses. No, it's just not happening. So anyway, uh, don't even know why I got into that detailed of a story. But the bottom line is I do watch a lot of Oakland games. They have a lot of interesting players. And a lot of them are across my different fantasy teams, including Davis on a couple. And um, anecdotally, I see some of these just powerless fooled bad swings and you're just like damn he's just not himself so if we learn of something that that suggests that the health gets back on track i'll buy back in but i will say i i need some sort of discount he went 50th this year on average i probably won't take him earlier than call it 110 right now let me look at the hitters who were going around 110 last year. This is main event, uh, average draft position for the NFBC. I know it's not uh, applicable to every league everywhere. It's a good baseline, though. So around this time, uh, this year, coming into this season, guys who are going around that 110 mark are his teammate Matt Chapman, um, 
Aloy Jimenez, Josh Donaldson, and, and those three guys. Okay, so you look at it. Okay, Chapman was on the rise. Uh, Jimenez, blank slate. We were buying in on the on the rookie. And Josh Donaldson was actually coming off of a down season himself. Not quite as similar to, jo- to Chris Davis because Donaldson missed a bunch of time. And so I think that protected him from too big of a fall off because in the 52 games that he played, he was still pretty good. And he finished with a flurry with Cleveland. Those 16 games, his skills were actually really sharp, even though it was only 16 games. So I think there was some love you know, kind of escalating uh, Donaldson's price a little bit. He he was going as low as 140s for a while, and then he started to really jump up, so that boosted his ADP. But again, that's exactly what could happen with Josh Don- or with uh, Chris Davis. Excuse me. He could maybe go in the 120 to 140 range for a while, and then sort of work himself up as he shows that he's healthy. I think 110 is the earliest that I would take him, and I don't necessarily think I'm even going to do that. I want to see where these two early mocks go and then see what's going on in Arizona. I want to know the guys that are going around there first. So I'm probably out on Davis if that's where his price is. If it starts to linger closer to 150, you'll get me back because that'll be too much of a discount for Chris Davis. All right, let's move over to Matt Carpenter. And damn it, Justin and I were just a year early. We've uh, we've repeatedly brought up and, and roasted ourselves for uh, for the situation with Matt Carpenter about how when he was really down last year we you know we were telling people nope get out you don't want this and uh, he went on to be you know the salsa man had that just amazing second half and you know made me look foolish that's okay uh, this year has been awful though. And uh, I'm not like happy. Uh, by the way, I don't want to make it sound like I'm happy about that. You know, I don't. I don't root for guys to to go poorly, even if I was down on them. And again, like that's stupid. That's foolish. Um, I was hoping that he would continue to beast out. It was awesome to see what he did last year. I've actually always liked Carpenter, but I was just trying to you know read the information that we have with the back injury, with the poor performance. You know, let me. Uh, let me jump out of this sink. Uh, let me yeah, let me jump out of this ship while it's sinking. And no, he surged, but then he sunk this year, and it's been rough. He said two fifteen with twelve homers, thirty six ribs, uh, fifty two runs, a weird six steals by the way. But um, he's minus fifty three points on his WRC plus to an eighty five. The barrel rate's cut in half to seven percent. The exit velo's down three miles per hour. Thirteen point dip in hard hit rate according to Baseball Savant. Back and foot injuries. He has to come down. He's going to be 34 next year. Last year's season was an outlier regardless of of how you felt about him. You know, uh, the 36 homers were easily a career high. The batting average, the the thing really outlier-ish about that, it was the power that was uh, an outlier for David, or excuse me, for Carpenter. And he has not taken advantage of the ball again to to put up another big season. He's going to be 34. I'm going to keep peeling back here. Um, it's going to be price dependent. If he comes in at a what I call a fair price, which I'm thinking last year Carpenter went about 95th on average. I need I I need a 50 spot dip. Yeah, 
I need like a 50 spot dip. I need somewhere in the 140 to 160 range. To give you an idea of some folks that went in that range last year, Yo Mankata, obviously, uh, you know, he was, he was on a come up, so he had the green arrow. So people were interested in him. In fact, I think his, if I, 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 by the way, I'm looking from March 1st on, so just the month of March with main events, and he was eventually going higher there. Uh, Ian Desmond went 150, gross. David Peralta coming off of his massive season. Miguel Cabrera, Max Muncy was coming off the big breakout. People weren't necessarily believing in him. Whoops. I was not one of those. That's actually one I got right. Um, let's see. Edwin Encarnacion was 155. Let me see. So, yeah, if Edwin can go that low off of the season that he had in 18, 246, 336, 474 with 32 homers, 107 ribs, 74 runs, then Carp can't go earlier than 150 for me. No way. No way. So I need I need a 60 pick drop minimum before I'm even looking at him. And if folks want to go higher, be my guest. Let me look at some third base comps here. Actually, let me make sure. Let me check Carp's uh, eligibility here. I'll take a drink while I'm doing that. Pardon me. So it's just going to be third base. So let's look at the third base player raider here and look at some folks who are around Carpenter. Carpenter is 5 billionth at third base. No, he's 48th. Holy hell. He's 48th at third base alone. Luis Arise is ahead of him. Michael Franco, Tim Beckham, David Bodie, Miguel Rojas, Pablo Sandoval. Holy shit. That's what a 215 average will do to you. Now, I'm not saying he has to be the 48th third baseman off the board. I'm not going all the way there. But let me just let me just go on the names. I'm going to start from the bottom up because I'm not even going to waste your time telling you that I'll take Devers, Rendon, Aaron. You're like, duh. Let's get the duh names out of the way. But here's some of the names I think I'm open to taking over Carpenter that are currently ahead of him on the player raider. Yandy Diaz. Chavis, probably. Michael Chavis. Austin Riley. Maybe a healthy Tommy LaStella. Evan Longoria and... Um, Evan Longoria and Kyle Seeger feel like they're his peers and they're going to go cheaper. So I feel like I would take those two, not necessarily ahead of him because I don't have to, but I'd rather just wait on those two than take Carpenter if he's going to be more expensive. J.D. Davis, Miguel Sano, Scott Kingery, Ryan McMahon. These are all third base eligible folks, at least this year. I am not doing the due diligence to make sure that they're third base eligible next year. So pardon me if I'm wrong on some of those. Bottom line is, though, I'm still taking them ahead of him, even if it's not a third base to third base comp. Hunter Dozier, Gio Urshela, Moncada, McNeil, Moustakis. Now I'm getting into guys that are obvious, like Machado, Turner, Chapman. So if the, if the top... Let's call it 20 
21 really because Dozier's 21. If those if those are all definitely going ahead of him, and just to run off the names real quick, Devers, Rendon, Arenado, Bregman, LeMahieu, Eduardo Escobar, Baez, Yuli Gurriel, Eugenio Suarez, Muncie, Donaldson, Jose Ramirez, Chris Bryant, Matt Chapman, Justin Turner, Manny Machado, Mike Moustakas, Jeff McNeil, Yo Mankata, Gio Urshela, Hunter Dozier. Those are all locked in ahead of him for me right now, for Matt, ahead of Matt Carpenter. Ryan McMahon, putting him there. Scott Kingery, Dunzo. Miguel Sano, I've never even been a big Sano guy, but yes. J.D. Davis, Brian Anderson, I think. I think Brian Anderson. I think I take Brian Anderson over Matt Carpenter right now. Hang on, let me look up Brian Anderson. Maybe not, dude. I just, ugh, I hate that Marlins team, especially for offense. So maybe not, but maybe maybe I should. Or Or he's like some of those other guys I was just talking about where – He's not Brian Anderson isn't even going to go ahead of Carpenter. So why would I why would I take Carpenter? I'll just pass him and take Brian Anderson later. That's the thing. That could definitely happen. I didn't even name Vlad Jr. by the way, who I I glossed over on accident. Definitely taking him. I mean, not even a competition. I'm not going to have Matt Carpenter shares next year. I think I'm lowering him even more. He's got to be 160 or later. Give me 70 pick discount. Or get to step in. Yeah. Yeah. Tough year. He's old. And, uh, you know, even at his best, he's always been, for Matt Carpenter, he's always been an OBP type of guy. Never really had a good batting average. You know, he has 21, 23, 36 homers the three years before this. Only 12 this year. Never has more than 84 ribbies. Um, thrice has eclipsed a hundred runs, but only once in the last, <clears throat> excuse me, once in the last four seasons, including this year. And that was, uh, 2018. So no, I'm out on carb. I think you should be too. There, there is a price. Sure. You know, we get something silly. Let's, uh, let's look at the 200 range of player coming into this year. Damn, dude. Now, this is a difficult comparison because I'm trying to get my mind frame in March uh, without being unduly influenced on what these guys have done this year. But you look at somebody like Yuli Gurriel, who went 200 uh, range last year. He went 202 on average, coming off of a 1385-291 season with 70 runs scored and five chip-in steals. Three the year before, so you could expect a handful of chip-ins. He's got four this year. I would rather take this year's iteration of that over Carpenter. Let's do this. Let's let's give Carpenter the benefit here. Let's let's smush these two seasons together, last year and this year, and give that average as a baseline. First, the average as is with the games missed, so it's uh it's just 132 games. It'd be 24 homers, 58 ribs, 82 runs, and a 2.41 average. Let me see who that comps to this year. And I'll do all players. I won't, I won't just do um, third baseman. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't plan for this part, so I am doing this one on the fly here. But maybe I'm just beating a dead horse and you guys are already like, I was never going to take him. Move on. But I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm a completionist. Is that a word? No. Am I even a completionist? No. So I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. So that's essentially 
what I say? 24, 58, 82 runs, five, re- five steals, and a 241 average. That's more or less this year's Paul DeYoung. 244 average, 24 homers, 86 ribs, or excuse me, 86 runs, 67 ribs, six steals. So that's, I'm taking Paul DeYoung ahead of him. And, you know, that, so the other names I was going to say from last year that were around the 200 range that this year's iteration, I, I don't think I would take Carpenter over. Max Kepler, I did love him. I, I'm not unduly influenced by his big breakout. I I was tabbing him for a breakthrough. Jorge Polanco went around pick 200. Nick Senzel was 201. Jesse Winker was 201. I liked him as well. Yuli Gurriel, 202. Pete Alonso, 205. Cattell Marte, 213. Hell, Randall Grichuk and, and Kyle Schwarber kind of know what we're getting. Boring as hell. They were 213 and 214, respectively. And I think Carpenter, you know, should be in that. that, that that's the range. So I was way early saying the 150 stuff. No way. I think Carpenter has to go 190 or later before I'd even look at him. Can't do it. Can't do it. I mean, you look at some of these names. By the way, what a rich part of the draft. I mentioned Cattell Marte, 212. Uh, Semyon, 216. Fran Mil Reyes, 222. Renfro, 224. Love that they went right by each other there. Same player. Uh, Shohei Otani, 226. Josh Bell, 232. Ryan McMahon, 235. Trey Mancini, 244. Jeff McNeil, 246. Damn, dude. Yeah. I want to see where Carpenter goes in these two early mocks, dude. Because I am just, I'm not in on it. All right. Have I made that point abundantly clear? <laughs> Again, you guys were probably like seven minutes ago. Like, okay, we no, we got it. Yeah, we're not going to take him either. And I'm like, you know what? Don't even take him. Okay, no, we agree with you. But you know what? Here's another reason not to take him. Sorry. I had to drive the point home, though. Honestly, I was educating myself, though. Because I originally said that, that uh, 150 stuff. And maybe you guys were like, what the hell? when I said that. So I'm glad, I'm glad I did the due diligence there. Let's move over to Lorenzo Kane, who has a minus 48 point dip on his WRC plus to just a 76. Now this is one of those guys who it, that's not the best measure to really get his fantasy value because he has a speed component, but let's talk about it. He hadn't been below 340 Babbitt for five years. This year he's at 292, easily a career worst. Uh, no surprise. His batting average has dipped to 250. A six-year low. He did have a 251 all the way back in 2013. That was an injury plague season in which his previously low BABIP of 309 was uh, uh, was what he reached. So, if you kind of look at everything else, it's not all that bad. There's a little, you know, few more strikeouts, few fewer walks, but nothing crazy. It's really the BABIP, but. He lost uh, over a half foot off of his sprint speed. That sounds small, but he's the percentile that he's been in has gone from 94th percentile, 95th, 89th, 86th to 74th. That's a big dip this year. And he's lost 14 steals and 58 batting average points for Lorenzo Cain. So some big dips there. Hand, thumb, oblique, and knee issues. 
He went 66th last year. He's not going anywhere near that. He's going to be 34 as well. We know from studies, speed doesn't age terribly well, particularly a guy who plays brilliant defense that does include you know going all out and putting himself in harm's way more often than not. We love it for the... Uh, you know, we love it for the defensive piece and for the highlight reels that, that it has, but it definitely has a negative impact on uh, on his health. So it's tough for Kane. Now, he's still going to, you know, when you're sorting by your stolen base projections going into your board next year, you're still going to see him probably with something like 20. He needs four more this year to get to 20. And that's still going to be appealing. But at what cost? 41 ribbies. He's never been a good RBI guy. But 41, 38 the year before, even last year, damn good season. 38, 49, 56. He only has 64 runs this year, too, because he has a 319 OBP. Woof. He's got to go way down. He's got to. Again, he went 66th on average last year. I think I got to get him outside the top 100 to bring Lorenzo Kane back on the club. Right? Right? Let's see where Kane rates. On the player rater at large and then we'll do we'll do outfield. 262 at large. Damn. And then outfield. 69th, nice. Not that nice though. Let's see where the 69th outfielder was last year. How about that? Just 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 for comparison's sake. It was Cedric Mullins going around pick 250. Now, we're not just going to take last this year's numbers and and then that's Lorenzo Kane now. We're you know, he's going to have some uh you know, some factoring in of his previous success and and I think that that's going to help so let's 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 give him that favorability which we did with Carp and put his last two seasons together and see where that that's at and what that delivers. So just the average again for missed time would be 133 games, 9 homers, 40 40 ribs, 23 steals, 77 runs and a 280 average. If you do the 162 average, it's 11 homers, 49 ribs, 29 steals, 94 runs, 280 average. Obviously that doesn't change. But I'm not as inclined to give him that as maybe some other guys because he doesn't play that kind of workload. So I am more inclined to use the 133 average of nine homers, 40 ribbies, 23 steals, 280 average, 77 runs. Now let's do the same thing we did with Carp. Let's see what that compares to this year. And I'm going to sort by steals to try to find the comp more easily than sorting by homers. So 23 steals. Let's see. I know like a handful of homers. So that would be about hmm. That'd be about this year's Colton Wong, who has ten homers, fifty-two runs, fifty-five ribbies, nineteen steals, and a two eighty-five average in one hundred thirty-three games. By the way, so that that's actually kind of perfect. I didn't even see that. So that's actually kind of perfect. So. 
where's Colton Wong going for 2020? We don't know yet, but I think uh, it's going to be a hell of a lot lower than 66th overall. I think you're you're having to look at uh, Lorenzo Cain as a 150 or later kind of guy. You know, outfielders in the 150 range this year. Ian Desmond, Billy Hamilton, David Peralta, Aaron Hicks, Nomar Mazar. Aaron Hicks is not a perfect direct comp to Kane, but it's a power speed guy. Well, uh, Kane's not a power guy, but it it's not a it's not a good comp at all, except for the fact that they're both strong fielders who miss a lot of time. But I will say this, Hicks was coming off of an awesome season last year, 27 homers, 11 steals, only 248 average, but 79 ribbies and 90 runs, and still went that late because we know about his health and, and all the concerns there. And that's where he went. So how high can you really push up Kane? I loved Ramon Laureano. He had a nice uh, glimmer last year that I was really thinking he could parlay into something great and Frankly, he was going to, if not for the health. And and he's still going to end up with a good season. But even off of that nice little 48-game sample and some off-season hype, he only went 187th on average, Laureano did. So Kane, again, I think I'm I'm looking at these the situation here. And I don't know how I can even consider him before 150. And even then, I think I'd have to be speed hungry, speed desperate even. I don't think I'm going to have Kane, y'all. Can he go 200 or later? Is that is that reasonable? I mean, it's certainly reason like that's it's reasonable in that we would want that. But are people going to be smart enough to to keep Kane down there? Again, 34. Plagued by health throughout his career. He's a late starter. So he's not the same as a normal 34-year-old in terms of, of regressing his skills. But even still, that I think the health I think the health kind of counters it a little bit. Um to where, you know, you uh Someone who came up at, at, at 22 and has been doing it since then and, and now 34, you're like, wow, that's a lot of mileage. Kane, late start in baseball, didn't really come up and start playing um, a lot until he was in his mid-20s, but he's been through a lot of health, speed ages poorly. It all adds up pretty negatively here. And I want to, I'm, I'm trying to temper freaking out over these performances with Carp and Kane and say, oh, you know, I'm not saying, oh, take them 300 or later or or don't even take them. No, but I do think they need to have significant drops, especially because so many people have, have jumped up this year. And while everything isn't linear to say, well, they had this bad season, they're going to continue to go down. These two in specific, uh, in particular, excuse me, Kane and, and Matt Carpenter, have a lot of factors that that don't add up for them to really bounce back. Age being the major one, but health as well. So I think if Kane is regularly going 
north of 150, he's not going to be anywhere near any of my teams. If he starts to creep over to the 200 range, I think I can get back in on that kind of discount. I really, really, really am going to be keyed in on on the prices that he's going to go in these two early mocks. Kane and Carp specifically. I really want to see. And these are going to be two guys. I've talked about this on the show about in a mock draft when you're really eager to see where somebody goes. You don't take them to, to let the market like you don't want to unduly influence the market, so you want to see where where the market themselves uh, f- feels about him. So I think yeah, that's where I'm at with Kane. Sorry, I'm sending a quick message here. You guys are catching me while I'm responding to emails too. I know, very unprofessional. I know, I know. If you guys listen to the Chris D'Elia podcast, you know that he would say that this is professional. <laughs> he tries to justify uh, reading his messages and, and doing stuff on the show as this is how I would behave in real life. So I'm going to give you the same me on the podcast. But anyway, sorry about that. I had to send that off real quick. Uh, anyway, so that that's on Kane. We got to we gotta move away. All right, three more here. Let's go over to Paul Goldschmidt. This one's a little bit, a uh, little bit quicker, a little bit more direct. Minus forty points to a one hundred five WRC plus. I think things really, I think things really are kind of straightforward here. Average is really the only difference. It's a thirty-five point dip. The BABIP drop is down to a career worst two ninety-six, and uh, you know. I don't think that there's anything that we look at that suggests that that Goldschmidt needs to be tumbling the way some of these other guys are. Let me see something real quick here. I thought he was going to go to uh, St. Louis and just dominate, like just absolutely go off. And uh, that has not been the case. He hasn't been bad. You know, 29-74 with 83 runs and a 255 average. It's it's really that batting average, and it's it's BABIP-driven. Now, when you look at the BABIP, and I've preached this millions of times, if you've listened to any pods, you know that I say, you know, don't just use it as a luckometer and and, you know, say, okay, well, this, uh, he's been unlucky automatically. That's not that's not how it goes. Sometimes it's their own shortcomings that uh, that deliver the, the the dips here. So let me look at uh, the profile a little bit closer here. I thought I took the extensive notes, but I'm missing a few key components here that I want to see on Goldschmidt. Yeah, okay, this is why I didn't take the notes because the the components of like barrel percentage, exit velo, launch angle, hard hit rate, none of it's down enough to really to really say that it isn't some bad luck with the BABIP. I really do think that in this particular instance, similar as it was to Mookie Betts a couple years ago, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a few things just haven't broken as well for him. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think, I think Goldie's going to bounce back nicely. I really do. 
And so he went 19 on average this past year. I'm not going to let him fall much more than 15 to 20 picks later than that. Let me, let me pull up Justin's uh, Twitter real quick. He's got the links to the two early mocks, and I wonder if any of them are deep enough to see where, where Goldie's gone. Let me check this. I know the first one was getting pretty deep. It's in the third round. No, no, no. Let's check this one. Nope, that one just started. I'm an idiot. Mock four. Okay, mock four. Hang on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty. Okay, they are 15 teamers. So mock four is in the fourth round. And Goldschmidt has not gone. It's in the middle of the fourth round. So I was saying I wouldn't let him drop more than a round, round and a half. Well, he's going. He's going later than that. Early on. I think I'm gonna buy back in on Goldie. I don't I just don't think we have enough here to to see why uh you know, to, to see a big tumble in his cost. I don't think this is just like who he is now and that his BABIP can't return. I mean, listen to these BABIP totals for Goldie throughout his career. 323, 340, 343, 368, 382, 358, 343, 359, 296. Dude rips the ball. And even this year, you look and it's the ground, uh, the ground ball, fly ball, line drive is not different enough. The uh, soft, medium, hard doesn't explain. I mean, you're, you're really looking at it and it's hard not to say that this is, um, that this is bad luck BABIP related. He hit 181 in June, y'all. What if he just hits 260 that month? Let me, let me do that math real quick. So he had 94 at bats. That'd be 24. That'd be seven. That's only seven more hits. Well, let me just add seven hits to what he's done this year. He'd be at 269. Nice. He'd go 14 points up just from that, and things would look so much different. It's 269 would still be a lower batting average for Goldie, who's been a 290-plus guy uh, virtually throughout his entire career. Um, going up from 18 to 2011, it's 290, 297, 297, 321, 300, 302, 286, and then 250 in his first 48 game debut. So it would still be lower. And I just put a random 260 just because like, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go so high to like say, well, what if he hits, you know, 300 that month, even though that's pretty much what he hits every month, but just to get off the 181 and say, okay, what if he hit? What if he hit a very reasonable 260? Bottom line, I'm not worried about Goldie, and I think there's going to be a discount to to dive in on here. If he's already, let's see, that's 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54. 54 picks into this draft, and this is just one mock that he hasn't gone yet. Yeah, I think people are going to be pushing him deeper, and if he's a fifth, Hell, sixth round guy. I'm having Goldschmidt shares everywhere. And, you know, one of the things that you can't quantify, but you know, you damn well know that it helps and it wins titles, 
is that first name. That's a badass first name. Paul, it doesn't get better. So you know that that factor is still there. And that's not going anywhere unless he changes his name, which I doubt he will. So Paul Goldschmidt has got the first name factor on lock. Skills that are still strong. A batting average dip that isn't really backed up in anything but a BABIP dip. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Wait, in in the good way, though, not the uh, not the in-sync way. All right, next one up is Victor Robles, minus 39 points to a 92. Again, uh, WRC Plus is definitely not the best number for him. Uh, in fact, it might be one of the worst because, yes, we care about his offense, and that's part of the reason that he is so alluring. But the, the, the speed component is exactly why you're so interested in somebody like Victor Robles. And he was drafted on spec this year, right? We were all uh, expecting a big breakout season, and it hasn't quite come to fruition. But I think you're going to be surprised to learn where he rates with everything. So he was, let me just uh, let me just do these numbers real quick. So he was the 23rd outfielder off the board last year going around pick 75. And he's been the 26th outfielder on the player Raider and 80th pick overall. He's, pa- he's panned out. He really has. And yet this feels like a disappointment. 251 average, 16 homers. 24 steals, 56 ribs, 76 runs. It's that average, I think, that really makes people think, he's kind of been a disappointment. Not really. Not really at all. Um, If there's any discount, I'm in. And yet, at the same time I say that, I'm even willing to pay the same price or even a little bit higher. Bottom line, I'm in on Victor Robles. And I will not belabor this with 10 more minutes of why I'm in. I think I've made it clear. He really hasn't even been a disappointment. If your leagues want to give, uh, you know, want to react to the fact that he didn't steal 40 um, and hit 251, okay, more shares for me. Sign me up, Victor Robles. Love it. All right, then the last one we're going to talk about here is Manny Machado. He's dropped 32 points to a 109. He has a 5%, uh, you know, five-point strikeout jump, uh, three-point barrel rate dip, 17-point BABIP drip, uh, drop. And all of that together does kind of explain the uh, the the 33-point batting average drop. You know, you strike out more, you barrel it up less, your BABIP goes down. These factors add up, and, and you're just going to have fewer base hits. And that's pretty much what we're seeing here. His home run pace is essentially the same. If you were to take his 709 plate appearances of last year and and pace out what he's done with the 28 in 575 this year and give him another 709, you'd wind up with 35 homers, which is, uh, again, too shy of last year's 37. The steals are down from 14. He's only got five this year, but that's something that... Ever since Machado went from twenty from two to twenty to zero, I hope you stopped having any expectation for him on steals. It, it, you're just not gonna know. It is like he is the perfect crystallization of how much they are a desire thing. 
pardon me, even with guys who aren't super fast. If you want to steal, if you're given the opportunity to steal, you can. Machado kind of does it when he feels. His numbers over the years um, are 6-2, which was in a half season. So we can, we'll, we'll be generous and just double it. We'll call it 4 because that was when he only played 82 games. We'll just call it 4 just for fun. 20-0-9-14 and then 5 this year. Just put him down for 6 or 7 and, and even put that in pencil or dry erase. But that's not what you're getting him for. You're, you're going for the raw power and hopefully a decent batting average. Now, his batting average has vacillated a bit too. But last year, or excuse me, 17, it was at 259. Then last year, it spiked to 297, back down to 264. And it really has been BABIP dependent for him. Again, I'll reiterate the point from earlier. I don't use BABIP as a luckometer. That doesn't mean that nobody experiences good and bad luck with their BABIP. It's just not a perfect thing. Sometimes a guy earns a low uh, a low BABIP. Other times they earn a very high one. So that's that's what that's though I'm always clear. In this instance, there's been some uh there's been some BABIP situation and Machado's earned it. Striking out more, barreling it up less. Can't write that off to luck. That's some skill degradation. But is it going to stick? It's going to be 27 next year. Dude's a workhorse too. 162, 157, 156, 162, and 134 so far this year. And San Diego has... Uh, let's see here. They have 24 games left. So if he plays all of those, how many did I say he played? Oh, 134 so far. He'd play 158. So, I mean, he's pacing for another big volume season for Machado. Total beast. Uh, Boring, though. He's become boring. He's still dual eligible at third and short. Love that. He went 26 last year. He's almost certainly going to fall. Let's see where he's gone in this month. Wait, what? Okay, never mind. I just, <laughs> I comically misspelled his name. I don't even want to tell you guys how shitty it was. Uh, but he went 44th in the uh, the deepest two early mocks so far for Justin's uh, mock drafts. Yes, I'm paying that. A gentleman named Joe Drake got Jose Ramirez, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and Noah Syndergaard picking from the 14 spot. Holy hell, do I love that team. Machado is going to go cheaper, and I'm going to be there to snap him up as well because he's pretty much the same guy. Now, I will say I thought I, I didn't love his price this year, and it wasn't one of these things where I, I, I'm i going to sit here and say, I saw I saw this coming. I saw exactly what's happened coming. I just I found him boring as well. I found him kind of boring coming into this year, so there were other guys I was interested in. Chief among them was the fact that I, I was in on Rendon, uh, and Vlad Jr. at third base and shortstop was super deep. So both positions that Machado qualifies at, I just wasn't that interested in buying. And so I was passing on him more due to the pool around him than anything that Machado was doing. But I was just like, yeah, he's kind of boring. But if he drops to a significant discount, which I think 20 plus picks is a significant discount, I'll snap him up. I'll snap him up. Let's go to all hitters here and look at this uh, 
45 to 60 range and see who's around there from this year. You're looking at like uh, Xander Bogarts was at 48. Chris Davis was at 50. Correa was at 52. Puig, 53. Daniel Murphy at 58 going over to Colorado. That didn't quite pan out. Tommy Pham, 59. George Springer, 63. So yeah, this is where this is where Machado's gonna live, and it's it's gonna be fine. And I'm I'm open to it. Because it's not it's not expensive. So so there it is. There's seven guys who've had big dips this year in their WRC plus and kind of how I feel about them. Quick review, Mookie Betts buying back in, staying with him as a first rounder. Chris Davis, I'm really peeling back on, pushing him way down. Gotta see where the market puts him. Matt Carpenter. I'm not taking him before what did I say like 180, 190 at the very earliest, probably 200s. I need a, I need a massive, I need a massive, uh, I need a massive drop to jump back in on Carp. Lorenzo Kane gonna drop him down a good bit. He went 66 last year. Paul Goldschmidt, I'm sticking with him. I'll take any discount I can get. Victor Robles, I'll take any discount I can get. I will also pay the same price as last year, if not a little bit higher, if necessary. I love him for next year. And Manny Machado is going to drop off from that 26 ADP of last year, but I will buy back in 20, 30 picks later uh, with ease because I think he's going to be fine. So hopefully you enjoyed that. I'll be back probably tomorrow with Justin um, if his schedule allows. If not, I'll do another solo and then back Friday with Nick uh, for a fireside. All right, thanks for listening. Peace.